Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Eric Lyons, of course, uh, resides in Wetumpka. He is the director now of Apologetics Press, and he's doing a wonderful job, and he's just one of my favorite people in the whole world. He really is. He's a, a very humble person. He's a great leader in his family. He's smart. Uh, he's an author. He's a, he speaks all over the country, and he's just a, what you see is what you get. He's the real deal, and so... Uh, He's a great communicator of the gospel. And you know that our theme this fall has been sharing wisdom about different things. And so tonight he's going to be talking to us about sharing wisdom, about having an eternal perspective. And we look forward to his lesson here in just a little bit. Uh, Did any other kids in any other churches win anything? (laughs) I don't know. do y'all have like the best kids in the universe here? I thought, Cameron, I thought we had some great young people at Wetumpka, but wow, that was encouraging. Way to go, guys and gals. That's, uh, y'all keep, keep that up. Nothing like hiding God's word in our heart, uh, not only because it is a lamp to our feet, a light into our path, but so that we might not sin against, against God and that we might do a lot of great things. And there's nothing we can do better than uh, to not only follow God's word ourselves, but also help other people do so. Tonight we have the topic sharing wisdom about an eternal perspective. And I'd like to begin by by uh, telling you about a conversation I had, one of the more interesting kind of sudden conversations I wasn't really prepared for. I was sitting in a doctor's office about two and a half years ago. And I had never been to this doctor before, and uh, no one else was in the waiting room, which it seemed rare, and didn't have to wait a long time, which was kind of rare. But uh, I, I was just sitting there in the waiting room, and a, um, a big guy came out of the, the back area where he had just seen the doctor, and he just kind of busted through the door and said, wow, that doctor, he is a great guy. I mean, he is, he's a good Christian man. And I said, really? I said, he was looking, I was the only one in the waiting room, so he was looking right at me when he said that. I said, that's awesome, that's wonderful to hear. He said, I'm a Christian, that's what I said. I said, I'm a Christian, I love being a Christian, that's, you know, that's who I am. I I mean, I'm Jana's husband, but I'm, first of all, I'm a child of God. And he said, well, I'm not. I said, really? He said, I'm an atheist. And I said, is that right? I said, well, why are you an atheist? He said, because, and this is, I mean, how the conversation went. He said, because God is a murderer. And I said, what, what do you mean that God is a murderer? He said, well, because God killed all sorts of people in the Bible. And he said, you don't read of Satan ever doing that. But God did. God is one who takes life, and that's why I don't believe in God. And you know, what I have learned and what I have read and what I have seen is that there are a lot of people who feel the same way. I wasn't really quite prepared for that conversation and exactly you know how uh, far to go with the conversation. We did converse some more and I mentioned, well, you do know that, you know, when he mentioned that Satan had never taken any lives, I said, have you read the, you know, the book of Job before and seen what Job, what uh, Satan did to Job himself and his family and, um, 
He didn't seem to be very familiar with that, but he was parroting something that he had no doubt heard from a lot of new atheists in the last uh, few years, or maybe in the last couple of decades, that God is a murderer, that He takes life. And so God, surely the God of the Bible that talks about God being that way, surely He cannot exist because God supposedly cannot do that. You know, I fully believe that if people would begin to understand the biblical God perspective of physical human life, they would begin to understand why God may do some of the things He did. Now, I understand that we don't necessarily know why God does everything He does. We certainly don't. But when He reveals those things to us, we certainly can know those things. So let me just ask you as we get started tonight... Can God rightly take life? I realize on a a kind of a superficial level that people maybe hear this question and think, well, no, God, God, no one can do that. I mean, God, can God, wait a minute, can God do this? And the very short answer that we hope we'll, we'll expound upon here in our introduction that may last a little longer than some introductions, though probably not any longer than Glenn's or Paul's. I, I don't know. Um, yes, God, God can. And you know, the fact that Christians can talk about this without feeling glum and down in the dumps, I'm not suggesting, it is, is, is testimony to the greatness, kindness, love, and majesty of our God. That you can talk about people's greatest Fear, generally speaking, greatest dread, generally speaking, and you can talk about this in a, a, a joyful sense. Yes. Well, why is it? Why, why can God take life? And again, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that every time someone passes from this life, that God has supernaturally or providentially, in a direct sense, made that happen. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am suggesting is God has every right to, if He chose to. Or chooses to. Why is that the case? Well, on, on a very fundamental level, and, and I realize we're going to get hopefully a little bit d- deeper than this, but on a very fundamental level, he, he can do this because He owns it. Because He created it. Because He is the sovereign over... He, he is the authoritative one over all of this. Listen, did you create yourself? You know, my dad is with me tonight. In fact, my brother, my old older brother. He, he walked in tonight. My dad and I, we were driving up here from uh, Wetumpka, Alabama. Of course, you, hopefully you know it's in Alabama, maybe if you've heard of Wetumpka. We were driving up here and thought, well, let's call my, my older brother, my dad's oldest son. So we called him. We, we actually FaceTimed him. I mean, I was driving. Dad was holding the phone, okay? And um, we didn't know that he was, you know, he was, he's on a business trip. We didn't know that he was going to pop into West Huntsville tonight. But uh, I don't even know really where I was going with this, uh, other than you know, I was thinking about my dad and my uh, my, uh, my brother being here. Oh, I know where I was going with this. You know, we might hear, you know, someone say like my dad, "Boy, I brought you into this world," and but you know, dad really wouldn't take us out that way. I mean, he might he might give us a good paddling, which he did regularly. And that one time, I stuffed a towel down my pants. That did not go very well at all. But. You know, I, I didn't create myself. And the fact is, neither did my brother, nor did my dad. We, we didn't 
we didn't say, well, I think I want to jump on down in planet Earth and start roaming around and just create myself. No, that, that, that doesn't happen. Even God did not create Himself because God is uncreated. We, we didn't create our bodies. We didn't create our minds. We didn't create our souls. God created all of it. I, I like what, what God says. Whether I like it or not, it doesn't matter. But it is relevant to this point this evening. When God is speaking to Job, and it's fascinating that He talks to Job out of a whirlwind, two different speeches, and He's talking about His creation. And He talks largely about animals. End of chapter 38, all of chapter 39 of Job, chapter 40, uh, chapter 41, 42. And in, um, well, through chapter 41. In, 41 when he's, in chapter 41, when He's talking about this creature, amazing creature called Leviathan, He then mentions this. He said... Who has been first to give to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I mean, who's given to God that he should repay? The point is, as the Bible writers were specific about throughout Scripture, the earth is the Lord and all its fullness, right? The Bible tells us that we are not our own, we are God's. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So on on a very fundamental... Listen, I didn't bring myself into this world. Someone else did. He owns me. Go to the New Testament. You can find... In fact, I don't think I have this particular verse up there. But you go to Colossians chapter 1 where you're reading about the majesty and sovereignty of Christ, of Jesus, who created us, he tells us. And in chapter 1 of verse 16, he says, He created us through Him and for Him. Why does Eric exist? Well, if, if you want to go to the Bible to try to find fault with God in the Bible, then let's go to the Bible to see how God explains Himself when He chooses to. And when He does, and when we have this more godly, biblical, and eternal perspective, we are going to be wise. We may not be wise in the eyes of the, in the, eyes of the world, and that's not our point here. That's not our point in existence. Our point in existing is to be here for God. And since we're here for God, what do we do for God? Well, we, we glorify God. And, the, brothers and sisters, here on a Wednesday night for a few minutes, just to meditate again about, about eternity and about recognizing that, that this truth of our purpose, and ultimately why we're here, it is absolutely liberating. There are billions of people in this world who are held captive by sin. They're held captive by by fear. They're held captive by the thought of death. And God tells us throughout His Word, in essence, oh, don't you don't have to worry about that. I understand we're emotional creatures. I understand that we have attachments. I understand tears. I understand sorrow. Some of those announcements that we just heard tonight, it's, it didn't just immediately bring me joy to hear some of those announcements. And that's, 
if we live very long on this earth, we're going to hear some things that we would rather maybe not hear. But when we think about this through the eternal perspective of God who's revealed some of His perspective that we need to know in His Word, what we recognize is when God tells someone like the Apostle Peter in John chapter 21, when God tells him... Now, I'm, I'm thankful that Eric doesn't know how he's going to die. I'm, I'm, I would just rather not know that. It, but when God, when Jesus chose to share with Peter some of the details of his death... You know, Peter was, he saw John, the Apostle John, you remember, and he was like, well, what about, what about him over there? That's kind, of, that's, that's kind of how we act. It's like somebody gives us some news, and wait a minute, you're looking at someone else, like, well, what about him? Or what about her? To which Jesus responded, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. You follow me. And I think we can learn a great lesson from this, that, that God says, hey, you mind, Eric, you mind your business. You do your following of God. You encourage your brethren. You help the, the non-Christian, the child of God. But you mind your business. And Eric, if you are on this planet for two days, two years, 20 years, or 200 years, and yes, there were people who used to live that long and much longer then you follow God. You do good. You glorify God. He created you. One more point before we move on. One more passage. Have you thought much about Acts chapter 12 where you read that James was killed with the sword, that Herod had James killed with the sword, and Peter is arrested and put in prison? In that same paragraph, it would seem that the same fate awaited Peter. And then God miraculously let Peter out of prison. Well, is is our attitude, is our mindset as a child of God, well, that's not fair. It's not fair what was going to happen to Peter versus what happened to John. It's not fair what happened to James versus what happened to Peter. No. God says, let's have an eternal perspective about this. Let's have a wise biblical perspective about this. Let's have a liberating. God's truth is liberating in more ways than one when we view life death, and eternity from the God-revealed, wise perspective. Sometimes God has taken life because He has judged nations and He's judged individuals and has every right to take the life that He gave. But keep in mind that He's not taking the only life that people have. Meaning, He's ultimately moving people from, from, from one realm to another realm. Well, you say, Eric, how could He ever take someone's life by way of, of bringing judgment upon them? Well, I think most rational people would conclude that it is that, that not all punishment is wrong. And that wicked individuals and evildoers are rightly... Punished, should be punished. I mean, have you heard any... Now, I realize we're living in some different times today, it seems like, than maybe 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. But it, it seems rare that even today, if you hear about a mass shooting, that there are people who say, we need to let that person go absolute free. They do not need to face a judge, a jury, a trial. Just let them go. That's okay. Now, people understand there needs to be justice that's served because evildoers, well, punishment needs to 
be meted out to, to evil doers. And here, here is what we know, is that many people on the planet have been very evil, like in the days of Noah. Every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Or in the days of Moses and Joshua and Caleb, where the Canaanites were extremely, extremely wicked. And God had witnessed this for using our time terminology for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. That is, it's interesting that God is not only capable of and rightly can and does punish evildoers, has throughout history, and what all He is doing in, in, according to His providence now, we, we are not able to put our finger on it and say exactly what this is or that is, but we know from history and biblical history what God has done at times. And what He has done has, has chosen to end the lives of sometimes nations because and people on earth like, like probably millions of millions of people during the time of, of Noah. Again, where every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. But you know, even in the days of Noah, God was merciful. God was long-suffering. Did, did Noah and his family not receive grace in the eyes of the Lord? And did he not wait decades during that time? This is how Peter would say it, and I believe that Peter may have been commenting on by inspiration, giving us some divine commentary on what we read in Genesis chapter 6, where the Spirit of God strove with man for 120 years. Peter would word it this way, the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. So our, our God can rightly take life because He owns it. He created it. He, he has ultimate authority over it. He could, if He chose to, and I'm not suggesting that He is, or that if Eric passes away at this very moment, that that's because God took it. But if He, if he chose to take me from this realm to another realm, which is what, how the Bible defines death, a separation of the soul from the body, a kind of definition that atheists would disagree with and don't believe in because they contend there is no supernatural God and there is no supernatural spirit realm. But the Bible tells us that, that death is a separation of the spirit from the body or the soul from the body. Rachel passed away, Genesis 35 verse 18, her soul was in departing. And when God has judged people and, and initiated their physical death and took them into the spirit realm, He had good reasons for why He chose to do that. But when He did, we can know, based upon a plethora of scriptures, that He was long-suffering in His initiation of that just, righteous, holy judgment. You might say, well, Eric, what about the children? How could God have ever taken the lives of children? I mean, did He not do so during the flood? On what basis, I would ask, can an atheist say that killing a child is wrong or evil? It's interesting that a lot of people who have, who have some issues with the way that God has dealt with people throughout history, they, many of them rationalize especially the killing of the unborn precious child. I mean, hey, don't mess with a bald eagle egg. Don't you dare mess with a sea turtle egg down there on the beach. I mean, I had a, I had a family member who was out, took a vacation of a lifetime, according to them, to Hawaii, and in the 
in the open ocean, there was a sea turtle that came and swam up with them, and there were people who were so upset with them because they had the audacity to stay out there with a sea turtle. Don't you dare hurt a sea turtle? I mean, not that they were going to. Or a sea turtle egg, or bald eagle egg, but we live in a nation that's butchering children. We live in a nation, and, and many people leading this nation, local, state, and federal levels, who are trying to rationalize this. And there are unbelievers, atheists, skeptics, who rationalize not only the killing of unborn children. I'd like for you to read this statement. Um, this is more of a generally... Uh, understood statement and a, an accepted statement by atheists who at least theoretically take their theory to its logical conclusions by Jean-Paul Sartre, who said everything is permitted if God does not exist. That would include everything. It would include murder. Peter Singer said this a few years ago. He said killing a disabled infant is not morally equivalent to killing a person. Very often... It is not wrong at all. In one of the most disturbing articles I have ever read in my 48 years was one written by two secular bioethicists who stated this in an article about after-birth abortion. I'm not sure that should still be called abortion, but anyway, why should the baby live? They argued that what we call after-birth abortion, killing a newborn, should be permissible in all the cases where abortion is, including cases where the newborn is not disabled. They went on in this article to say this, and I think I am properly representing them. You can go and find the article, probably just Google it and you could read it, though it won't be very enjoyable. Where these two unbelievers said, even if there are individuals who want to adopt those children, the mother should still have the right to terminate, to kill the child because the emotional distress of the mother may outweigh the life of the child. So, I'm sorry, but uh, if, if people want to try to illogically condemn the creator of the child for removing a child from a very sinful world and escorting that child into paradise while you contend or argue, that is the unbeliever, the atheist, the skeptic, the agnostic perhaps, who says, those who are really just taking their theory to its logical conclusion, it's okay to do this. Even when there are loving people who want to help that child, adopt that child, I don't even know that we have to explain ourselves as Christians, but we will. We will because, well, because the Bible tells us that God has taken life as mercy upon the righteous. Are these words, and for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of move on and not be able to get to all of these references, but is this not one of the most comforting verses in the Bible? Psalm 119, excuse me, Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Precious in the sight 
of the Lord. How can, how can the death of anyone be precious? I'm not saying it's not hard for us who are left behind. I'm not saying that I would not weep tears and cry like a baby if those of you or family or friends have passed tragically from this life. Tragically in a, an accident, something to that effect. That We're going to suffer. We're going to be sad. And yet, in reality, God says it is a merciful thing. Let me ask you this. Was it right for God to take Enoch and Elijah? You say, well, Eric, they didn't die. No, okay. But their life on earth, earth was over at the moment God took it. Do you think, number one, I've never, I'm 48 years old, I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone, whether theist or atheist, Christian or non-Christian, say, that was a terrible thing that God did. That He, he took Enoch's life. I mean, he only lived, what was it, 365 years which was kind of young compared to Methuselah, 969, or Adam, right, 930, but 365 years so soon. Or what about Elijah? I mean, he's talking, what about talking to his, his buddy Elisha, and then he's taken up in a chariot of fire? How could... Surely Enoch and Elijah would want to not want to go, Right? Now you see, this is where we really begin to hopefully get, wait a second, the reason that that is awesome, the reason that 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 is amazing, the reason that, that Enoch, who walked with God all of those years on this planet, he was ready to go. Do you think in paradise, those godly men are thinking, I sure wish I was back down there on planet earth. I mean, I didn't get those other 600 years I wanted. They're in a better place. Let me ask you this. Will it be fair? Will it be fair for Jesus to return to end time and judge mankind? Is that fair? I mean, the Bible has told us in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God's going to judge the world. And He's going to come back. I mean, this is the the theme of a number of Jesus' parables. Be prepared. Get ready. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Be prepared. He's coming back. The, the world, is, as we know it, is going to, to end. Is, does that make God some kind of moral monster? Not at all. In, in fact, he's, he's told us what he's, what he's going to do. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? You're telling me, we, we not only as Christians, as people who are covered with the blood of the Lamb, you mean we, not, we don't have to dread it? We don't have to be scared of it? God says, more than once, you can look forward. How can I look forward to that day? Because it's going to be better Because after Jesus comes and takes His precious bride home with Him, it's going to be better than a family meal at Thanksgiving. 
It's going to be better than the Christmas holidays at the Collies. It's going to be better than coming together at West Huntsville. It's sure going to, be, it's sure going to beat all that Huntsville traffic y'all got around here. I'll tell you that right now. It's going to be better than eating Wednesday night supper at Rosie's Cantina. Especially when you beat the crowd. <laughs> or maybe not. Are we thinking, brothers and sisters, right about life, death, and eternity? Please don't mistake what I'm saying here tonight to say that physical life is not precious. Physical life is absolutely precious. Is that not the most precious picture? Is that not the most precious little hand? The Bible is replete with information as well about us being created in the image of God, about whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he made man. In the patriarchal times, in Mosaic times, in New Testament times, life is viewed as precious, and if you murder someone, you don't have the authority to do this, you take their physical life, you don't have that right, you have sinned, and God says your life will be taken. You will be punished for that. Physical life is precious. Furthermore, we're, we're hardwired, I believe, to, to want to live. I mean, if, if someone you know, tries to cover your mouth, are you going to try to breathe? If, if you're extremely thirsty and have not had any water for hours or maybe a day or two, or are you not going to try to drink something? If someone holds your head underwater, are you not going to do everything you can to get... Yes, fully believe that we're hardwired to, to want to live, and God, no doubt, He created us that way. And it is true that the Bible tells us there is a blessing to a long life, that God told Abraham he was going to be blessed with a long life. That one of the Ten Commandments, the one with the promise, honor your father and mother, Paul says, reminding people about Exodus 20, which is the first commandment with promise. It shall be well with you and you shall live long upon the earth. Generally speaking, young people, children who obey their parents, are the rebellious kids or the obedient people generally going to live longer on this planet. Well, they're going to obey the laws. They're going to obey their parents. They're generally going to live longer. And it's viewed as a blessing. But do not confuse a godly desire for a long life with being scared to die. Did Abraham live 175 years? That might be more, well more than 100 years longer than I live. I don't know. 175 years, and yet the Bible tells us that Abraham, he looked for what? He waited for what? That city, even though he was a tent dweller, he waited for that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Even though God used, the Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to say, yes, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. He's, he's the same apostle who said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's not confuse a godly desire for a long life with being scared to, to die. And again, I realize as we try to take these biblical truths and these realities and and beautifully, as Scripture does, marry them together, we, we may have 
some, you know, we have this desire that to, to live. We're, we're kind of hardwired that way. And yet God graciously has, has told us the whole story. We, we, know, we know the ending. We win. God's people win. And most people are afraid of death. Because number one, they think, and this is one of the biggest problems, they think that this life is all there is. And so they're looking for, I mean, I heard an interview a few months ago where, I mean, they were interviewing some of the most well-known people on the planet, some of the richest people on the planet. It's like AI is going to help us live another 20 years. Well, I guess that could be okay, but, you know, it's like, hey, we've got to find some way, we've got to force our way to live longer on this planet. And again, I'm not making light of physical life. I am saying that's not the end-all, be-all, everything. A lot of people are scared to die. They're afraid of death because they think this is it. Or they, they do not know. But God has told us. God's told us what's on the other side. He's told us what we need to know, what we desire to know, what we crave to know. He's given us this information. Do we know it all in detail? God didn't choose to reveal every detail to us. Even when the Apostle Paul was allowed to see up into the third heaven, into paradise, into the heavenly realm. He wasn't able to come back and tell us about it. Or I suppose he would have, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A lot of people are afraid to die because they know they're not living right. And Lord willing, here in a few minutes, we'll offer Jesus' invitation. It could very well be there may be one or more here tonight who fall into that camp. Our God is so good that He's calling you through His Word tonight saying, you don't have to leave this place wondering. You don't have to leave this place scared. Most people are afraid of death, maybe for various reasons. But Christians don't have to be. Christians desire to live not out of fear of death, not... We don't have to be. God has told us, oh, death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live, Jesus said. Paul said, Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And as we've already read this evening, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. We don't have to be afraid to die. We don't have to be afraid because we've been given divine revelation that we don't need to just keep on our, our nightstand or on the coffee table or on a bookshelf. Let's read it and recognize that we have a desire to live not out of fear of death, not, out of, not fearing the unknown, or what we'll get to hopefully here in just a few minutes as we close out and offer the Lord's invitation. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. Look forward to the uh, song and prayer we'll have together in just a few minutes. In light of some of the things we just studied, you might, you may have thought, well, Eric, if, if all that is true, then why don't we just go on now? I mean, why don't we just, if, if it's better to be in paradise than, than to be here, then why not go on and be with all the faithful who've gone on before us. Well, there's two quick things that come to mind and then we'll 
rapidly extend Jesus' gracious invitation. After I tell you maybe one other thing. Um, And that is, number one, we don't have the authority. I I, I don't have the authority to, to take your life, and I don't have the authority to take my own life. I also don't know what good that God could do through me, even if I feel like I have a miserable life. There are no telling how many people in the thousands of years of earth and human history, how many people have been such a blessing, a godly blessing to others, even though they may have thought that their life was not worth living. I don't have the authority to take my life. Furthermore, God can use you, God can use me on our best days, and maybe even, maybe even more so on our worst days, to help other people. We are the hands and feet of God. We, we are here to let our light shine so that people may see our good works on good days and bad days and glorify the Father who is in heaven. We are here. We, we, we live. Not for earthly gain. We, we, that's not our purpose here. But yes, we, have to, we, we, we are to work. God expects us to work. If we don't work, we're, we're worse than an infidel. But we're not here for earthly gain. That's not our purpose. We're not here for earthly pleasures, though we may partake of some. I had a half of a Snickers bar on the way here tonight. And a part of a Coca-Cola. My dad was eyeing it like he wanted some. I, I, I know it might be kind of weird. I said, well, do you want some? He's like, no, no, I don't want any, but... Sometimes there are times when, when I get to, to be with people that are near and dear to me. I get to enjoy good things. May God help us to not feel guilty if we are not abusing such God-given pleasures. Perhaps we can view them as a foretaste, as we sometimes sing, of what? Of glory divine. Here is what I do know. I fully believe that you get, that our God gets at least a better version of me, when I keep in the forefront of my mind the wisdom that God has imparted to us, the the information, the knowledge that He has given us about eternity and about how this earthly life is not why we're here. We're here to get ready for eternal life. We're here to prepare ourselves for for judgment. I believe that you get a better version of Eric when I keep a proper perspective of life and death. And I, I try to remember on good days... It's kind of interesting. This last Monday, heading into AP, you know, I think I woke up on the right side of the bed Monday morning. And I don't know, there was just, I just felt kind of almost odd, like I got a little bit more pep in my step. And I had just gotten back from a kind of a close to a West Coast trip. I got in late that Sunday night and, and man, I'm feeling good. I'm going to conquer the week. And then I get to work and I felt like I had just been gut punched. I mean, just shortly thereafter with some news that I did. I mean, that was not very good news. But God is good. There was a country song written several years ago. You're going to know the song as soon as I start reading it. 
But I think that Tim Nichols and Craig Wiseman wrote a song that can help us. It was one that Tim McGraw sang. He said, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me, and a moment came and stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options, and talking about sweet time. I asked him, when it sank in that this might really be the real end, how does it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what what'd you do? And you could sing it. I love deeper. I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness. I've been denying. God wants us to have and keep in our minds a continual thinking about the temporariness of this physical life. And that my dad and I, our lives could end tonight if we're in a car wreck on the way home. And and yes, those are what we call tragedies, but my dad's been a faithful Christian, a child of God, most of his life. Do Do I think my dad's ready to go home? And I don't mean to Redland Road in Wetumpka, Alabama. Yeah. Am I going to... Are my brother and I going to boo-hoo and cry if my dad precedes us in death? Are we going to be there hugging each other if he precedes us in death? Crying? Hugging? Yes. But are we going to be so excited to think about him being in paradise? I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. I became a friend a friend would like to have. I finally read the good book and took a good long look, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And he said, someday I hope you get to get the chance to live like you were dying, like tomorrow was a gift and you've got eternity to think about what you'd do with it. What could you do with it? What would I do with it? Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you're dying. You know, God has given us His Word to tell us, this is, this is the theme of, of the Bible, to tell us how to go be with Him through the great Redeemer. The, 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 the book, the Bible, it's, it's about the greatest, it's the greatest information about the greatest story, about the greatest thing, about eternal life. God has shared with us the greatest truth that mankind has ever meditated on. Let's not treat it frivolously. Let's live every day like we're dying. Because we are. And if Jesus does not come back first, we will What did we do with the one life that God gave us? Let's live for Him. If you're not a Christian, won't you do what God's Word says and answer the Lord's invitation? He pleads. He says, Come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever wills, let him take the waters of life freely. It's freely offered to anyone and everyone through faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, through turning away from the sins in our life, sins that 
are so tempting. Things that we want to do when God calls us a different direction. Being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins, we walk in the light. We walk in the light. And we help other people see the light. And we bring them with us. Sometimes they start kicking and fighting and we just encourage them. And we pray for them. And we love them. And there may be one or more here tonight that we would love to pray for and pray with. If you need Jesus, if you are in need of repenting of sin tonight, won't you come answering Jesus' invitation as we stand and as we sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.